I wanted to take a pause because I know that this week has been a trying week for a lot of us. Um, for parents, it's been a week. For students, for children, it's been a week. For those who work in education, it's been a week. Those who work in public safety, I know it's been a week for you as well. And we pray for each and every one of you daily that God will continue to strengthen you, that he will continue to keep you in every area. I know that after the events that occurred in Uvalde, Texas, a lot of us were left speechless. For those of us with kids like myself, we were shaken to the core, knowing that it could have been our sons or our daughters, and it only was the grace of God that it wasn't. But it wasn't just Texas. Last week it was Laguna Woods, Irvine Presbyterian Church, where a group of, of Taiwanese parishioners were coming together to celebrate a missionary coming home. We're just celebrating a missionary, excited because he went out to do the work that God called them to do and they made it back home until they were fired upon inside of their church. Two days before that, it was Buffalo, New York, where 10 people of color were going to the local grocery store and never made it home. And these are just the ones that made national media. And just one day after Uvalde, a social media threat was posted here locally to students at Gibson and Douglas Elementary. And then the next day, the loaded gun in the magazine was found in the desk of a second grader in downtown Sacramento. Tiring. It's frightening. It's sickening. It's, it's exhausting. And I don't think that there's anyone in this room or anyone watching at home that hasn't been affected in some way by what's going on, including myself. It seems like we're in this constant state of crisis. This constant circulation of crisis. And just as we're on the cusp of getting over one thing, another thing is right on its heels. As a believer, it can be challenging. As a person of, of faith, it can be challenging when it seems like faith is at an all-time low. It's hard to believe uh, when you see such tragedy and the agenda of death that's being played out by the enemy. It's easy to feel powerless when we don't know what to do or if there's anything that we can do that will make a difference. It's, it's easy to become frustrated or, or disconnected because those situations, if you try to address them, uh, it can turn into a political argument quickly. I never want our church to be a place that overlooks what's going on. I never want our church to be a place that, that overlooks what's happening in our community. We are to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. And when things happen like what has happened over the past few weeks, it is my responsibility and I feel that we need to be reminded of what our response should be. And what are the things that we are to do as people of faith in crisis? It's easy to get disheartened. 
It's easy to be overwhelmed and for it to feel like you're drowning and feel like, and have this what is the world coming to attitude. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. So be very careful how you live, not being like those with no understanding, but live honorably with true wisdom. Why? For we are living in evil times. The Amplified says we are living in times that are full of evil. Take full advantage of every day as you spend your life for his purposes. Be very careful how you live, not like those with no understanding, but live honorably with true wisdom, for we are living in evil times. Take full advantage of every day as you spend your life for his purposes. Take full advantage of every day as you spend your life for his purpose. We can't be like those who are not wise. It's easy for us to get caught up in, in what we want to do and where we want to go and our goals and our achievements. And, you know, I'm trying to get my summer body together and I'm trying to save this money to do this and buy this and do that. And I'm trying to, you know, make this. He says, he says no, 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 no. He says, he says, be careful how you live. Not like those with no understanding. Not like those who, who, who don't know what's going on. Who can't see what's going on. Those who are chasing everything just so they cannot focus on the void that is inside of them. He says, don't live like that. He says, don't live like that. Live, take full advantage of every day as you spend your life. Why? For his purposes. We're not here for us. We're not here for our indulgence and what we want to do and how we want to live and what we, he says, that's not what you're here for. We live our life for him. But as we encounter these things, as we encounter these situations, there, there are responses. There are ways that we can respond. There are things uh, that we are to do. And so I want to take a few minutes uh, and, and just, just try to walk through those things. The first thing we do when we encounter crisis or we encounter people in crisis or we encounter our faith in crisis, the first thing we do, uh, which uh, pastors might not uh, tell you this, and this might not be a, a deep thing for them, but the first thing we do is we feel. We feel. Well, pastor, that's not very, very... Uh, Religious, yeah, that's your problem now. We feel. I think far too often in an attempt to be spiritual, we come off as insensitive. In an attempt to be deep, we wind up denying ourselves of emotion and then wind up in denial. These are real situations that are happening around us, and it's hard. 
and it's frightening. And even more so for those who are personally walking through it. These situations evoke feelings, evoke emotions. And the Lord gave us these feelings. And I believe that he gave these in our time, uh, these emotions, he gave it here for us to help us embrace what's happening around us. And as an outlet to express our grief, to express our sadness, and to express our sympathy. It doesn't mean that we don't believe. It means that we believe, but we still feel. I believe God with every fiber of my being. But as I'm, I'm, I'm driving and, and, and the radio is on and I'm hearing these, these officers and, and the police chief walk through the events of what happened, there's emotion that starts to happen. I start to feel some type of way. As I think about my sons, as I think about your children, as I think about I have these feelings, I'm not going to be like, no, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. no, that's, that's a lie. That's a facade. That's fake. No, I feel this. God has given me these emotions for a reason. And so I'm going to take a second and I'm going to take a second and I'm going to feel the feelings because God gave them to me. And there is nothing worse and unfortunately, in my life, as a young person in my life, I experienced a lot of death. Just the way my life turned out, just the situations that I was around, I experienced a lot of death. And there's nothing worse than when someone walks in and acts like nothing's happening. It comes off as insensitive. It comes off as rude and disrespectful. And if we want to have the door open to minister to people who are walking through that, we cannot walk that way as well. It is okay to feel the feelings. It's okay. It's okay. A great example of this is Jesus. I mean, he's always a great example, but in John chapter 11, um, verse uh, 32 Yeah, John chapter 11, verse 32, and I'm going to read through verse 36. It says, when Mary came to the place where Jesus was, and, and, and she saw him, she dropped down at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. See, see Lazarus had died. And a couple verses before this, they, they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, the one whom you love has died. Come now. But Jesus was ministering. And Jesus didn't come immediately. As a matter of fact, it was four days before Jesus got there. Yeah. And so we pick it up. And Mary says, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Look at this. When Jesus saw her sobbing, and the Jews who came with her also sobbing, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. 
He chafed in the spirit and sighed and was disturbed. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how tenderly he loved him. And we look at this scripture and we know the outcome. And if we know the outcome and we see the outcome, we know Jesus knew the outcome. So Jesus knew that he had the power and would momentarily raise Lazarus from the dead. But in response to the feelings of those who were around him, the sadness of those he loved, he wept with them. He wept with them. He didn't act holier than thou, even though he was. He responded by taking a moment and being present with those who were weeping and weeping with them. He took a moment because he was moved by the, what's happening around him, and he chose to embrace those feelings and responded in kind. Our hope in Jesus doesn't dismiss our feelings. It just allows us not to be ruled by our feelings. A lot of times, one of the best things we can do in times of crisis is just be emotionally present with those who are suffering around us. As a pastor, there are many times when I've gotten calls or dad have gotten calls and we've had to go to places and And we don't walk in there with a Bible in hand, ready to go, ready to walk. No. Sometimes we just sit. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we don't say a thing. Because the first thing we do is we, we, we are emotionally present. We're there with the people who are walking through what they're walking through. Sometimes that is one of the best things that we can do. Romans 12, uh, verse 15. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice, sharing others' joy, and weep with those who are weeping, sharing others' joy grief. He says, it's okay. It's okay to feel the feelings. It's okay. And so when we encounter people in crisis, we encounter people who are suffering, who are going through, we feel. We feel it. It's the first thing we do. The second thing we do is we resolve not to walk in fear. This is important. This is important because this is the area where the enemy will come for us. This is the area where the enemy will come for us. We have to resolve not to walk in fear. We don't allow the situations that are, are happening around us, the things that are happening uh, 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 in close proximity or far proximity to move us to a place of fear. We cannot do that. 
Matthew 10, uh, verse 28, uh, Jesus here is talking. You see it in the red. He says, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But rather, be afraid of him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Uh, he says, are not two little sparrows, two little birds. He says, are not two little sparrows sold for a copper coin? And yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. He says, but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, even if it's one. He said, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. For the Father is sovereign and has complete knowledge. Why is that important? Why does that matter? Why is he comparing us uh, to sparrows? He says, do not fear because you are more valuable than many sparrows. He says, don't fear. Because if, if two little birds are being sold for a copper penny and God knows uh, uh, all about that, even before that sparrow hits the ground, he says, you're, you're worth more to him than many sparrows. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He says, I know the number of hairs on your head. That's how much I love you. That's how much I care for you. That's how much I am in control and I know what's going on. So don't be afraid. And I say that because any of the things that we are walking through can cause us to be fearful. What if I get sick? What if I die? What if it's my children that are next? And, and while these thoughts are real and they are valid questions, we as believers have to resolve during this time to not walk in fear. Second Timothy 1 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind, of self-control. We have to resolve not to walk in fear. Now, that doesn't mean to walk in foolishness either. But we don't walk in fear. We have healthy conversations around these topics. When you feel, when you're having feelings, you, you have a conversation. You seek God. You seek his word for wisdom on what he's told you to do regarding the situation. Not what somebody else should do. Not what these people should do. Not what they should do. Seek God for what he wants you to do in your situation. We seek God. But we don't dwell on these situations. We don't dwell on these things that are happening. Why? Why, why shouldn't I uh, uh, leave the news on all day and watch it all day and, and, and read the newspaper all day and look at every notification about what's going on that pops up? Why? Because the enemy uses those things to plant seeds of fear and anxiety in your life. And now your focus has moved from faith to fear because now you've brought your attention from faith to fear. Whatever you put your attention on, that is what will grow. That is what will grow. So we have to resolve not 
to walk in fear. See, Satan's strategy is to block the knowledge and the application of God's word and the thinking of the believer so that they can be held in hostage by fear and by his lies. He doesn't want us to, to think about the word. He doesn't want us to apply the word because if we apply the word, then that means we're not focused on fear. That means we're moving in faith and now the enemy is destroyed. This is why it is important not to walk in fear. We walk in faith. We walk in faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 uh, of verses 4. Verses 4 and 5. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Here we go right here. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. He said we're bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We got to think about what we're thinking about especially during these times. I know that it's hard. I know that it's bombarding you and it's looking at you every single place that you go, but we must evaluate our thinking and bring our thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. But in order for us to do that, we must know when our thoughts aren't lining up with the Word, which means we need to be in the Word, which means we probably should read it. You know, I just have this feeling, this, this, this thing that it just feels like I'm going to die and I'm just, I just feel like something's going to happen to me. No, no, no. We bring that thought into captivity, into the obedience of, of the Word of God. No, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, joy, and peace. No, no, no. A thousand may fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it will not come near me. Only with my eyes shall I behold the reward of the wicked. No, 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 no. The thief cometh to steal, kill, and destroy, but, but I come that you might have life and life more abundantly. No, 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 no. I'm not going to die. No weapon that's formed against me shall prosper. What am I doing? What, what are you doing, Pastor? What are you doing? I'm taking that thought and I'm taking it captive, and I am bringing it into obedience to the Word of God. This is what we have to do. This is how, how we do it. This is when you're struggling with these things, you take those thoughts and know you bring that in line of what the Word of God says. This is what we have to do. This is how we resolve to not walk in fear. And when we feel fear creeping up, when we feel the enemy trying to allow fear to creep up in us, we, we attack it with the word of God. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. He says, but they are mighty to do what? To pull down strongholds. Depression and anxiety is a stronghold. Fear is a stronghold. So what do we do? We use the weapons that God has given us to defeat it. We resolve to not walk in fear. Because the enemy would love nothing more than for you to be in fear. Because when you're in fear, there's nothing you can do. How are you going to minister to somebody and you in fear? How are you going to preach to somebody or pray for somebody when you're scared yourself? So he says, if I can get them afraid, I don't even got to get rid of them. All I got to do is get them afraid. 
So we resolve not to walk in fear. Number three, we encourage others with the hope that we have in Jesus. We encourage others with the hope that we have in Jesus. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. He, Paul is talking to the church at Thessalonica here, and he's telling them, he said, no, 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 no. He said, whether we are awake or we are asleep, I, we have this, 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 uh, this, this hope that we will live with Jesus, that we have salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, therefore, encourage one another. And as we are bombarded with these issues and these things that are happening, it's easy for us to be focused on the present that we forget that this ain't the end for us. This ain't it. As bad as it can get, as horrible as it can get, this is not game over for us. This perspective that we have as believers is one of, I believe, one of our most powerful assets that God has given us. This world gets darker and darker day by day. But Paul told the church uh, later in Thessalonians, he says, we don't mourn like those who have no hope. He says, we don't do that because we do. We have a Savior who died for us. We have a God who holds us in his hand. We have a Lord who sees us even when we don't feel seen. And when it seems like there is no victory to be had, we are reminded that the victory has already been won. When we encounter other believers, we remind them of this victory. We remind them of this hope. And when we encounter people who aren't walking with God, and they're being overtaken, and they're suffering from grief, and they're suffering from sadness, and they're suffering from this depression, we show up as the love of God on display. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We show up loving them. We show up showing them the love of God, and when that door opens, we invite them into a relationship with Jesus to experience the same joy and the same hope that we have even in the midst of such darkness. Romans 15 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing through the experience of your faith. I love that the Amplifier said it. He says, through the experience of your faith. Well, how do you experience faith? The only way that you experience faith is in the times when your faith are being tested. The experience of your faith happens in those moments where you need your faith. When life is all good, you ain't got no, no you're not experiencing faith. You're just walking. You just, it's a wonderful life. He says, no, 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 no. He says, the God of hope will fill you with joy and peace in believing through the experience of your faith. That by the power of the Holy Spirit. You will abound in hope and overflow with confidence in his promise. Overflow with confidence in his promise. Because 
Something happens when your faith keeps getting tried and when you, when you start to grow in your faith, there's a certain boldness that happens when something else comes up because you've already walked through it before. You know that you have the victory. You know about the God that you serve. You know what he will do. So there's a confidence that you walk in and you that's the experience of your faith. It's the experience of your faith. And that's the moment. When you see somebody, when you see somebody who's broken, when you, when you see somebody who's down, when you, when you see somebody who, who doesn't know Jesus and, and they're in this moment, you can have that opportunity to show up as the love of God. You, you can have that opportunity to, to just shower them with love. And, and as soon as they ask you, well, why are you so, oh, you shouldn't have did that. Well, how are you walking? Well, why aren't you going, cr oh, well, what is it that has you so, I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad you asked. Because at that moment, at that open door, we get to share with them the love and the hope that we have. We get to share with them that, yes, this, I, I am feeling with you. I'm crying with you. I, I, I know that this hurts. I know that this is sad and this is a, a horrible thing. And, and I don't have all the answers to why these things happen. I, I know that there's sin in the world. And, and I know that we, we serve a God who loves us. But here, let, let, me, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I have this confidence. Let me tell you why it's, it's a little bit different for me, why, why I'm happy, why I have this joy. Uh, it's because of Jesus Christ. It's something that he did in my life. And it's, and it's not because of what I heard on a pulpit. It's not because of what somebody said. It is an experience that I have had for myself that has changed my life, and I desire that you would have it too. And I know it's hard in this moment, and I know it's, it's this, this is a sad moment, but I promise you that in Jesus there is hope. I promise you that there is a joy that you have even in the midst of these moments, an unexplainable peace that surpasses even your own understanding. And this is what I want to offer to you. 2 Corinthians 4 says, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So do not lose heart. I know it's bad. I know it seems like it's getting darker every single day. He says, do not lose heart. I know you may wonder why. I know you may, may have these questions and, and, and this questioning that's going on. He says, do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This is the hope that we have in Jesus. This is the hope that we share with others and that we encourage others with this hope. And lastly, for today, we pray. We pray. We need to pray now more than ever before. 
And I understand that there will be some of you who, uh, uh, through the frustration and the, the pain of, of things not changing, would lead you to say, we need action, not prayer. And I never want to minimize that pain. That pain. I never want to downplay action. But understand that prayer is not the only thing that we do. It is the first thing that we do. There is a demonic agenda that is being played out. But we as intercessors have to stand up and get to work. We have to stand up and get to work. Our city, our state, our country, our family needs God. We desperately need God. There is not a plan B for our nation. There's not a plan B for our city. There's not a plan B for our family. We need God. Our prayers make a difference. They move heaven to respond. Our prayers make a difference. Numbers uh, uh, in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers chapter 16, verse 47. Numbers chapter 16. Starting in verse 47, so Aaron took it as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly. So what was going on is they was tripping. That's just the bottom line. They, they, they was tripping. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. They started mumbling and complaining. And God's like, hey, I, I'll get rid of all y'all. This was Old Testament. God just, he was like, I'll get rid of everybody. And, 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 and Moses and, and Aaron, and, and, and he says, no, 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 don't do that. He says, you know, go, go and make... Go and start make, making a petition. Go, go and start praying because God about to get rid of everybody. So, so go, and, and there was a plague that, that began to happen as this, and we pick up in verse 47. And uh, so Aaron took it as, as Moses said, Jessica, you guys can come, and ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense. And he began to make atonement for the people. He began to pray. He began to pray for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living and the plague was stopped. See, we don't sit back and accept this agenda of death that the enemy has coming against our nation. We are the intercessors standing with incense, making this petition between the living and the dead. The solution to the problems that we are facing are not solved by human effort, but by divine intervention. They are solved by divine intervention. While others look to a political agenda... They look to a government official, a social reform to change our country. We as believers have to remember where our help comes from. I don't care what side of the aisle that you sit on. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The way that this change happens, the way that these things move is not by putting a, just putting a law in place or somebody different sitting in a seat than a person who was sitting there four years ago. It, that's not what's going to happen. What changes lives 
is the very power of the living God. We need a divine intervention in this country. And you can get caught up on a side if you want to. But in the end, there's only one side. Our allegiance is only to one, and that is to Jesus Christ. Because he is the one who will make the difference. He is the one who will make the change. He is the one who has the burden removing yoke destroying power. He is the one who can raise from the dead. He is the one who can make the difference. A divine intervention has to take place. A divine intervention has to take place. Laws will help and people will help. But please understand, it is nowhere near the end all be all. Doesn't matter. God has used the, the proud. He has used a donkey. He has, it doesn't matter. He's used them all to fulfill his will. It's he who we need. And it is him who we have to seek. We have to make atonement. We have to to be people of prayer. We have to be the intercessors that God has called us to be. And you say, Pastor Keenan, I, I, you know, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't consider myself uh, uh, an intercessor. Well, I, that's what the Lord says you are. I, it ain't me. The Bible says that you're an intercessor. He's called you to pray. He's called you to pray for your family. He's called you to pray for your city. He's called you to pray for your kids, for your country, for the elected and appointed officials. He's called you to pray. Prayer changes things. And so I want to take some time today at the end of this message and, and pray. I want us to intercede for our children. I want us to intercede for our country for our leaders, for our elected and appointed officials. And I want us to pray and pray like our future depends on it, because it does.